Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Happy Easter. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Life without lack. Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 23. Life without lack is the teaching series we are beginning today. We're going to take eight weeks dissecting Psalm 23. This weekend's message title is Abounding Grace for dot, dot, dot. Whatever you need or whatever you're up against or whatever you're facing, God has abounding grace for you. You can also grab your sermon notes out and follow along. In the early years of my life, I operated on the unspoken assumption that if I could get my external world perfectly in order, then my internal world would be filled with peace, patience, and poise. And that's a great recipe for frustration and discontentment in our imperfect world. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no doubt. And we all tend to do that. We tend to look to people, things, and circumstances for our contentment. After 27 years of ministry here at Desert Breeze this last summer, my wife and I were given a 12-week sabbatical. And I found myself thinking... I found myself thinking that I'm a, much, I'm a much nicer and better person when I'm on a sabbatical than I am when I'm working for God at a church. And uh, I knew that was messed up. And so when we came back from our sabbatical, I set a new goal to be as relaxed as I was on my sabbatical while at the same time being as productive as I am at work. So you want to know how I did? I've been eight, eight months into this. You kind of curious? Can I have another sabbatical this summer? <laughs> no? <laughs> no, just ask my wife, Nancy. She would say, I need some work. Or, or, or she might say, I'm a piece of work, okay? And so take a look at your sermon notes here. Imagine the possibility of a life without fear or fluster, anxiety or angst. A life without irritation, agitation, or intimidation. A life that exudes with peace, patience, and poise. A life that is carefree, but not without care for others. A life that many have sacrificed time, money, and relationships trying to possess. A life without lack. That's what we're talking about. Now, let me bring you up to speed where we've been this weekend. On Good Friday, his poverty, our riches. And this was the key verse here, 2 Corinthians 8 9. One of my favorites, 2 Corinthians 8 9. It defines grace for us. If you want to know what grace is, it's telling us what grace is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. That's an amazing verse. I love that verse. So God became a man and was rejected, betrayed, suffered, and murdered in our place for our sins to reconcile us to the Father so that we might become rich. And so Easter weekend, we celebrate the richness of what we have through Christ and through his grace. So Easter weekend, abounding grace for dot, dot, dot. 
So through his resurrection, Jesus proved that he was God who came to rescue us, conquering sin, Satan, and death. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. You'll notice, so the first one is 2 Corinthians 8, 9, defining grace for us. And then we've got, really, what is that richness that he gave us? That's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Did you notice the alls in that verse? How many alls? There's like four alls and two abounds. So it's basically, he's just telling us, he's, he's covering the basis. He's got all the bases covered for us. That's the kind of grace that he gives to us, abounding grace for whatever you are facing, encountering, whatever you need. It's pretty amazing. And, and this word abound is an interesting word. You see it twice there in that, in that verse. Abound, the idea here is a river overflowing its banks. So, so what Paul is wanting us to understand here in this verse is that it, it isn't just enough to get by. God's not gonna just give you just enough to barely maybe get by, but it's over and above what you will ever need in all circumstances of life, a life without lack. Psalm 23, kind of helps us to understand what that is. So what we're gonna do this morning is, uh, in, in just a bit, we're gonna read the 23rd Psalm all together and aloud, and we'll do that week in and week out. I would encourage you to begin to memorize Psalm 23. It's a phenomenal Psalm. My wife and I had our kids, when they were four and five, memorize that Psalm. And then uh, her and I were, re were memorizing it, reminding ourselves of what it is during our sabbatical this last year. And it's really helpful for us to find that rest and that contentment that can only be found in Christ. So we'll read that text and then we'll look through our notes. And our notes today we're gonna focus on what is contentment? What is contentment? And you'll be able to find out, are you a contented person? And kind of maybe where you, where you get your contentment from. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's first pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help. So God, we love you. Father God, we thank you that your son, our savior, Jesus, became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich and experience your abounding grace to live a life without lack. This weekend as we contemplate and celebrate that through Christ's crucifixion, our debt, our sin debt is paid in full and through his resurrection, we can experience life to its full. So teach us, teach us how we can live a life of completeness and contentment, a life without lack. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said, amen. amen, amen. So Psalm 23 is preceded by what Psalm, anybody? Psalm 22, very good. That's not quite what I meant when I said that. I was actually thinking more of the content of Psalm 22. So what is the content of Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is King David is prophesying. You guys know what prophecies are? They're predictions. They can be predictions about the future. So it's pretty stunning when you, when you understand what precedes Psalm 23, it's Psalm 22, and it's King David prophesying, making predictions with unbelievable detail about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Check this out. Some a thousand, a thousand years before Jesus came to this earth. So he's making this prediction about the crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus a thousand years before Jesus came to this earth and 500 years before crucifixion even existed. So just once again confirming 
and giving validity to this sacred scripture that we hold dearly. It's, it's God's word to us. And, and in fact, he's, he, he's even so detailed in Psalm twenty two sixteen. He says, they have pierced my hands and feet. 500 years before they even knew what, what is that? We know. We know what he's talking about there. And so in Psalm 22, the very first verse, it says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse one. Remember Jesus on the cross, the seven statements that he said? That was one of those statements. And so he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin, Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we could be in right standing with God, so we could be reconciled to God, that we could have a relationship with God. He got what we deserve so that we would get what he deserves. So Psalm 22.1 Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want a life without lack. That's what he offers us, that's that's ours. So let's read this Psalm 23 together and aloud. You guys ready? Okay, this is my fourth time doing this. Let's see if we can blow the roof off more so than the other three services. Okay, they did a good job. But but I think you guys could even do better, okay? So we're going to do it nice and loud, really like you mean it, because these are really powerful words. And so with the idea of what he said in Psalm 22. You guys ready? Psalm 23, 1 through 6, 1, 2, 3, go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Woo! Absolutely, that's good. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Pretty amazing. So we'll spend eight weeks on this, kind of dissecting it to see what that means. You can see on your notes, Abounding Grace 4. Next week, we'll talk about our weariness, how he restores our soul. And then the following weeks, we'll talk about our indecisiveness, fearfulness, waywardness, brokenness, neediness, and eternal blissfulness. So this morning, I want us to just to focus in on that first statement, Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall lack nothing, as some translations put it. So we need to know where we are going so that we will know when we get there. So we're going to define contentment. What is contentment? It's on your notes. Contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's presence and providence. I got that definition from Eric Raymond from his book, Chasing Contentment. It was another book, one of many books that I read during my sabbatical. It was a great book. I did add one word to that, and that is the presence of God. He was assuming the presence of God, and I thought it needed to be in that definition. So contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's presence and providence. So we're going to take each of those words 
And I'll explain those to you here this morning. So first of all, contentment is the inward. That's your first fill in the blank, inward. It comes from the inside and is not based on circumstances. It's not based on our circumstances. It comes from the inside. A great example of this is found in Acts 16, 19 through 25. Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel in the town of Philippi. The impact was so great that the local industry of fortune tellers feared for their business. They were so powerful in their preaching of the gospel that the local industry of fortune tellers feared for their business. You would have thought the fortune tellers would have seen it coming. That was a, that was a joke, yep. And if I, it, it, it wasn't a good joke if I had to explain, but you guys got it, and so. Some of the other services were a little slower on catching that. And so these local, this local industry of fortune tellers feared for their business, feeling desperate. They gather up this mob that attacks Paul and Silas. They drag them into court. They have them stripped naked. They're beaten with rods and thrown into the dungeon and locked in stocks. By all accounts, this was a rough day for Paul and Silas, to say the least. But what's fascinating here is in Acts 16, the verse 25, listen to what it says about these two guys. About midnight, so this is the darkest time of the day. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I mean, the the prisoners had to have been thinking, after what they went through, what's up with these dudes? What do they have? I'd like to have what they have. They're, they're all listening. They're, they're riveted to Paul and Silas as they're praying and singing hymns to God after what they went through. So their singing during terrible circumstances shows that contentment works inside out. Works inside out. It's not based on your circumstances. It comes from the inside out. After Paul's release, he later writes a letter to the Christians in this town, Philippi, Philippians 4, 11 through 12. This is what he says. I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. So, contentment is the inward. That's the first, first idea. Next word is gracious. The inward gracious. That's your next fill in the blank on your notes. It is What is this idea of grace? It is the favor of God earned by Christ's work, not ours. It's really, really important you get this and you understand grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's a gift from God. Saving Our salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, based on what those verses say, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So to really understand grace, you need to understand justice and mercy. Justice is, is what? It's getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now listen to me. This is what separates, grace is what separates Christianity from every major cult and religion in our world today. The tendency for our culture of pluralism is to just kind of put Christianity with all the other belief systems. And you can't do that if you really study them out. 
This is what separates Christianity from every other major cult and religion in our world today. In fact, it stands alone. See, every other major religion, cult in our world today, it's a works righteousness. Remember what righteousness is, right? Standing with God, perfect record before God, reconciled to God, having a relationship to God, but you have to work for it. See, every other belief system basically says this. It's saying that finite man relates and reconciles to an infinite God through works, through works, what you do, and each one of them will have a list of things that you have to do. Christianity is not a works righteousness. Listen to me. It is a grace righteousness. It's a gift righteousness. And it goes like this, that an infinite God relates and reconciles with the finite man through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. He did the work for us. It's amazing. So every other belief system would say, the good are in, the bad are out. Meet the standard, you're one of us. They all have a standard. Christianity, grace righteousness, says this, says this. The humble are in, and the proud are out. And all you need is need. And pride will keep you from seeing that. All you need is need. All you need to do is recognize, I'm not content. Yes, I do need salvation. All the works cannot ever achieve what, I, what I'm longing for in my heart, and yet Christ freely gives that to us. He accomplishes that for us. James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Believe me, you do not, you do not want God to oppose you. God opposes the proud and he gives grace, his favor, his favor upon the humble, recognizing your need for him, giving your life to him. So contentment cannot be achieved, only received by grace through faith in Christ. Salvation cannot be achieved, only received by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. See, man can never, ever reach high enough, but God can certainly reach low enough, and he did through his son Jesus. And he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died to reconcile us, to rescue us. It's, it's out of this world. It's amazing. That's grace. So contentment is the inward gracious. Here's the next one, quiet spirit. This one's, this one's even really, really hard, okay? <laughs> Just forewarn you, quiet spirit, quiet spirit, quiet spirit, it is a life without bitterness, complaining, or worry. And bitterness has to do with our past. Things happen to us in our past. We can't quite get over them. It creates this bitter root within us. That's that bitterness. Complaining has to do with the present, and then worry has to do with the future. Matthew 12, 34 says this. Our words, it really basically says, our words are a window into our heart. So I know we're kind of guarded a lot of times when we're around certain people, but when you are unguarded, 
with what you say, what comes out of your mouth is revealing what's in your heart. So our bitterness, our bitterness over the past, our complaining about the present, our worry about the future is just giving evidence of where our heart is. So let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. If your heart were a body of water, would it be a peaceful lake, a babbling brook, or a stormy sea? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as it relates to maybe this, this weekend, but I also want, oftentimes when I, ask, when I ask a question, when I answer a question like that for myself, I also look for patterns. Because right, this weekend, you might, things might be really going well, but what's been the pattern? What's been the habit of your life? What would you say is uh, where your heart is? If your heart were a body of water, would it be a peaceful lake, babbling brook, or a stormy See, what, which, which of those three would it be? Now, now, now turn to the person next to you real quick and uh, ask them uh, what theirs is, okay? Real quick, do that. Find out. Okay, so, so uh, maybe a better question would have been to tell the person what you see in them. If, you, if you're familiar with the people, only if you know the people, okay? But that would get you into trouble. So certainly my wife might come up with a different answer for me than what I would come up for me. Does that make sense? Because oftentimes there's a lot of denial in our life. We kind of think of ourselves much better than what we really are. And so sometimes we, we need to have some outside, you know, objective truth and, uh, and so that's part of it. So think, think for a moment about a crying baby who finds consolation when, giving, when given a toy. I mean, it's easy to be content when circumstances are going our way, but our source of contentment is revealed through difficulties. It's when we go through difficulties, that's how we know where... What's the source of our contentment? And here's what you need to know is that nothing, absolutely nothing can keep you from the contentment that only Christ can give except, except for idolatry. And idolatry is loving anything more than you love God. It's looking to created things to get what you should be getting from the creator. It's, it's putting more emphasis. It's giving your heart more to those created things than the creator. And believe me, inevitably, because created things are temporal, they're going to eventually let you down and disappoint you. And when those things are threatened, blocked, or lost, your emotional response will give, give revelation of where your source of contentment is. And oftentimes they can be very good things in our life, but we've turned them into ultimate things. Now, a quiet spirit is not a denial of problems. That's what I love about the Bible. It's so, so real, so in touch with reality, but a quiet spirit is not in denial of problems, but it is a casting of your problems, your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. So the motive is that he cares for you. He cares for you. So there's a difference between complaining to God and complaining about God. Complaining to God 
reveals that I do trust that God knows, cares, and rules the circumstances of my life. What's the biblical basis for that? Well, what's the biggest book in the Bible? Anybody? Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible, 150 chapters. There's a whole lot of complaining going on in that book, okay? But not complaining about God, but to God. It's just a lot of raw emotion. The writers are complaining to God in so many different ways, and so there's this difference between complaining to God versus about God, and complaining to God reveals that I do trust that God knows, cares, and rules the circumstances of my life, but complaining about God reveals that I don't. It reveals that I don't trust that God knows, cares, and rules the circumstances of my life. Think about this. If you complain about God, or often we don't, actually complain about God, but, but if you com- just complain or you're bitter or you worry in general, you are saying that God is unfair, irrelevant, and incompetent. That's what you're saying. That's what's being revealed from your heart. Contentment knows how to sing in the prison as well as in the palace. Contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit. Here's the next one, the joyfully rest. The joyfully rest in the rest. And, and here's what this idea of joy, I love joy. Joy is, is a buoyancy based on the pleasures you have and the eternal privileges in Christ. So, so we, def, we define it as a buoyancy because life can push you down. There's no doubt about it. Life is hard. And it can push you down, but listen, it can't keep you down because there's this buoyancy in your life and it's based on the pleasures you find in the eternal privileges that are yours through Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Philippians 4.4, the apostle Paul, while he's in prison, he said this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Yes, yes. Why would he say that? Always? Yes, he's saying, hey, if you had any idea of the pleasures that we have and the eternal privileges that are ours through Christ Jesus, believe me, you will rejoice always. You will rejoice always. The opposite of joy is not sadness. This is where we kind of get confused here. The opposite of joy is not sadness, but hopelessness. So you can have sorrow and joy simultaneously. In fact, that's actually really healthy. You, so you can be in touch with the reality of, 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 of trauma, difficulties, whatever you're going through. You need to be in touch with that. But there's a greater reality. It's the pleasures you find in the eternal privileges that are yours in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So you can actually have those going on at the same time. See, if all you have is sadness and you never get to the place of joy of what we have through Christ, you're not going to get through the sadness or that sorrow. It's going to overwhelm you. It's going to create some despair and maybe even despondency and depression. And so 2 Corinthians 6.10, it says, we are sorrowful but yet always rejoicing. And so it is the joy that gets you through the sorrow. The eternal privileges we have in Christ are innumerable, absolutely innumerable. Let me give you two of them. They're the next two in our definition of contentment. And so contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests. Here it is. God's presence and providence. Those are the next two. I love God's presence. 
It's one of the eternal privileges. I think it's the best eternal privilege that we have. So God's presence, what is God's presence? It is his manifested personal act of interaction with you. So, so this is what you need to keep in mind is that there's a major difference between the omnipresence of God. You guys familiar with that doctrine, the omnipresence of God? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, there's a couple of you that do, okay? The rest of you, do you guys know what I'm talking about when I say omnipresence of God? Okay, there's a few more. Okay, we got like six of us now. Okay, how about over here? Okay, omnipresence of God. He's everywhere present. Everywhere present. The Bible says that. Everywhere present. I'm not talking about the omnipresence of God. I'm talking about the manifested presence of God. What is the manifested presence of God? It's his personal act of interaction with you. With you. It's, it's what that is, is that you're not just going through the motions, checking the church box, just reading the Bible, putting it down as if, you know, okay, I, I accomplished that. No, when you read his word, it comes after you, either with comfort or conviction. As you sang some of these songs, I had a guy, as he was exiting last night's service, he said, he, he told me one of the songs that he was singing, and he said, oh my goodness, for the first time, I began to realize what Christ did for me, and he began to cry. He says, that... What, what was that? That was the manifested presence of God, making that real, that truth real to your heart. It wasn't just a concept. You just weren't singing words up on the screen. No, they meant something to him. God began to make it real to his heart, and he began to understand personally. So it's his manifested presence is his personal active interaction with you. So let me ask you this question. What is absolutely the best thing that God could ever do for you? It's absolutely the best thing that God could ever do for you reconcile you to himself and he did it through Jesus Christ John 17 3 it says this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent why did he send Jesus to rescue us and to reconcile us back to the father and by the way this when it says this is eternal life that they may know you the word know here is not just an intellectual no this is an existential no this is an experiential no we have a sense of his presence on our heart. We know that he loves us, not as a concept, but as a reality deep in our heart. Let me ask you another question. So what is absolutely, what is absolutely the best thing that God could ever give to you? His presence, himself. We have his presence. If absolutely the best thing that he could ever do for you is to reconcile you to himself, what's absolutely the best thing that he could ever give to you? Himself. And that's what we have through Jesus Christ. He's given us his presence. Absolutely amazing. Psalm 1611, it says, in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is fullness of joy, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now listen to me. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. There's no vacation you've ever gone on. There's no food you've ever eaten. There's no relationship that you could ever have that will satisfy you like intimacy with God. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Once you've tasted of his presence, his absence is unbearable. 
What do I mean by that? Well, listen to Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. See, the psalmist knows the omnipresence of God, but is longing for the manifested presence of God. Do you hear what he's saying? God, I know you're here, but I'm not, I don't have a sense of you in my heart. I'm dry. I'm struggling with my life. Please help me to see you more clearly. Open my eyes so I can see you. Open my ears so I can hear you more clearly. I'm in a dry place in my life. So he's crying out for that presence of God. That's what we all have to do from time to time. Nothing will bring you contentment like enjoying the presence of God in your life. Nothing will bring contentment like enjoying the presence of God. There is a joy, there is a contentment in this intimacy with God that all the success in this world can never give you and all the suffering in this world can never take it from you. It's amazing. It's it's like I, I said, it's my favorite. It's my favorite part of what Christ has done, knowing his presence, experiencing his presence, having him in our lives. Absolutely amazing. So contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's presence and then and providence. That's your last one right there. This is good. This is really a good one too. And what is that? It is his undivided attention, unconditional affection, and unlimited action always always working for your good and his glory did you know that there's about 7.5 billion people on this planet earth not sure how many billions of of believers and christians there are but you might be thinking what he has he's that i as a christian have his undivided attention unconditional affection unlimited action how does he do that he's god that's how he does that he's infinite he's eternal but the bible makes that very clear and I know that maybe some of you would be looking back, you know, in your life and think, wait a minute, if, he's, if, he, if I have his undivided attention, unconditional affection, unlimited action, always working for my good and his glory, then man, what was he up to back a few years ago when I experienced, and maybe you could come up with a list of things. You're just, even to this day, you're perplexed. I won't bother to ask for show of hands because I know there's a lot of you that would just say, I'm, I'm perplexed. I, I don't know what he was up to. I'm I'm lost. Well, guess what? You always go back to the Word. Because the Bible says we live by faith, not by by sight, not by feelings. You always go back to the Word. And the Bible is very clear about the providence of God. Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Not maybe, not I hope so. No, listen, you have his undivided attention, unconditional affection, unlimited action, working for your good, for your good, regardless of what you're facing right now, for your good. He's involved in your life, whether you can see him or not. He's working for your good and his glory. You gotta get to know him. That's the only way you're gonna be able to get through that. The more you get to know him, the more you will trust him. And you'll live by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 13, 5, the writer here says, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Love of money, yeah. Loving anything more than you love God. That's what he's saying. Don't love anything more than you love God because he has said, here's his promise, I will never, literally in the Greek, I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. How do you know that? 
It was written in blood. Our Savior died so that we could go back to his word and go, yes. If he didn't spare his own son to reconcile us and to give us his presence, he's not going to spare anything else for us. That's how much he loves us. I will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. You can take it to the bank. So contentment is the mark of those who have put their affairs in God's hands. So as you begin to understand the attributes of God, who he is, his infinite wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, think about this, in his infinite wisdom, he knows what is best for you. That's his undivided attention. In his perfect love, he wants what is best for you. That's his unconditional affection. And in his unlimited power, sovereignty, omnipotent is what the Bible describes his power, he will always do what is best for you. That's his unlimited action. So, this is really important. Everybody look up here. If you had any idea, if you had any idea whatsoever what he thinks about you, the God of the galaxies has you on his mind and on his heart. If you had any idea what he thinks about you, what he feels about you, what he wants to do in and through your life, you would stop running from him and you would start running to him. And you would not let anything ever get in the way of your relationship with him. That's how it was for me years ago. Pedal to the metal, all out. Are you kidding me? He loves me that much? He has my best interest at heart? Yes, yes. Of course, of course I'm going to live for his glory. All that he's done for me, there's not a doubt whatsoever. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to live for his glory. Who is the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm? John 10 says that it is Jesus, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. So contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's presence and providence. I encourage you to memorize that that definition. Also begin to memorize Psalm 23. And let me just say this before we pray. If you have never, if you have never given your life to Christ, this would be a really great weekend for you to do that. Man, give your life to him. What's holding you back? You might be saying, well, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. This is how you do it. A, acknowledge that your sin separates you from God. B, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, in your place for you. C, confess him as your Savior and your Lord. Confess him. Give him your life. Give him your life. And by the way, that's not the finish line. Those are the starting blocks for an ongoing, growing, intimate relationship with him. Give him your life. And then what you're going to want to do is make it public through water baptism. This next month, we'll be doing a big water baptism party, and that's when many people will make that public declaration of their faith in Jesus. And so we'd invite you to to, to be a part of that. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment. I'll give you an opportunity to do that this morning. So, Father God, I pray for my friends here this, this weekend and those listening online that need to come to you and give their life completely to you. May they do that now. May they do that now. Acknowledge their sin. Believe Christ died on the cross for their sins. 
and confess him as Savior and Lord. And I also pray for those who have given their life to you. May may they renew their commitment to you. So thank you. Thank you, Father God, for loving us so much that you gave us your only son so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Help us to apply these truths about contentment to our lives so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We pray this in Jesus' glorious name and everyone said, amen. Amen. Josh is gonna lead us in this final song, one of the songs we sang earlier. Let's sing it to the top of our lungs in celebration of all that Christ has done for us. Would you stand with us? Stand with us. God bless you. Love you guys.